Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 23. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, his mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into a pile of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive gifts from me and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time, because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When, when Ariat, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Messiah, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the King. Thanks, Lucy, very much for reading, and uh, do keep that passage open. Good. Well, uh, if you're joining us this week, weren't here last week. We're looking at a six-week series uh, to start with at the first end uh, chunk of the book of Daniel, and we're into chapter two. Uh, and we're going to look at that together in a minute, so keep your finger in it. Uh, let me pray as we come to look at this passage together.
Heavenly Father, uh, there are so many truths in this passage, but we're going to focus on two this morning, and I pray that you'd help us to see what they are, to understand what they mean, and for them to be real in each of our lives. Amen. Great, if you were here last week, do you remember I I showed you that picture, that image, and I said if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you ever, like me, feel a little bit like a red dot in a grey world? Uh, You kind of feel in the minority, you often feel isolated, um, living for different values. It can be tough being a Christian, and so often the human experience of being a Christian is something like what's on the screen behind me. And I asked us the question, have you ever stopped to reflect on how the kind of culture around us is shaping us? And how do you and I respond to that culture? Remember the context of the book of Daniel is that of exile. So God's people who were in God's city, Jerusalem, were taken off into captivity in the 6th century by this great foreign superpower, the Babylonians. So they're out of God's city, and they feel like God's abandoned them. Um, And the big question we looked at last week was, uh, where is God and what are you doing in your world? And often that's a question I'm sure we can ask. I often often ask it, God, where are you? What are you doing? I don't understand. And we learned last week that even though God's people were in exile in this foreign land, God was there with him, with him, with his friends, and he was working out his purposes in a situation that looked as if God was not there, but he was. But I guess the problem we have is even if you're a Christian and you believe this great biblical truth that God is there, that's not enough, is it? Because I don't just want God to be there. I want him to do something. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, have any of you been crazy enough to go caving? Uh, I grew up in the West Country, and not far away was Cheddar Gorge, the limestone um, caves. And so we often went caving uh, as school children. Caving basically involves putting on a kind of boiler suit and joining a load of other crazy people following an even crazier instructor down a very dark and often wet hole deep underground. It's caving, uh, it's meant to be fun. Now I do it because you get muddy and I love adventure, but actually I don't particularly enjoy caving because I'm quite claustrophobic. And there was a time when I was down one of these caves and they get so, so narrow, it starts off nice and wide and you think, oh, this would be easy, and it gets more and more narrow. And then you suddenly get a complex because you think, maybe I'm overweight and I can't fit through this hole. And I remember one time my arms were like this and I got wedged. And you had this big head torch with a big, in those days, a big battery pack on your back. And I remember the battery pack got jammed on the rock, and I could not move. It was actually quite scary. And it was all very well knowing that there was an instructor there ahead of me, but that didn't really help. I wanted him to say something to me to reassure me. And then he did, and he said, don't worry, keep going. And I was thinking, yeah, it's easy for you to say that. I'm wedged in this rock. I knew the instructor was there, but I needed him to speak to me to reassure me. Uh, and eventually we did sort of a bit of worm wiggling and we got through the cave and into a big cavern and it was all fine. Uh, and I've never done it again. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1 and 2 is a little bit like that caving experience. Chapter 1 declares to us there is a God. The instructor is there. Chapter 2 is where the instructor then speaks. And we're going to come to it together. Here's a question for you to reflect on. Um, what is the biggest deal to you in your life? Or to put it another way, what is your ultimate reality? I guess uh, lots of legitimate things we could answer to that question. Um, we could say, uh, you know, big life event. When I pay off my mortgage, that's a pretty big event in my life. And it's a really significant thing, and it's important. Uh, that is sort of my ultimate reality. When that's done and dusted, then I can chill a bit. But until then, I'm going to have to keep working. 
Uh, maybe your ultimate reality is being successful. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, applying the gifts and talents you have to whatever you do in your life. And you want to be successful, and that's a brilliant thing. I guess for a lot of us, our ultimate reality is something to do with our family. I want my family to be safe. I want them to be happy and well. I want to express love. I want to be loved. And for a lot of people, that's their ultimate reality. But I want to show us from Daniel that I think actually if any of those things, or indeed whatever it is you were thinking, is every possibility that if those things are our ultimate reality, it's a bit like living life in 2D. And when you come to Daniel chapter 3... We see in this chapter this great truth that there is a God and he's not silent. And if I can begin to grasp that, suddenly my life that is 2D takes on a whole new dimension. Life gets bigger and life gets better. Because the ultimate reality the Bible declares is not my world, my story, what I see in front of me, what I understand, but a bigger story. The ultimate reality the Bible says is what is God doing in his world? And have I ever thought about that and engaged with it? I'll give you an application to try and think this through. You and I love stories, don't we? Uh, you read books, we watch films, they tell stories, and stories draw us in. There's something about a story that excites our heart. We love stories. Think of your life as a story. You're born, you live, and you die. That's your story. So many people on this planet live their life, and this is their ultimate reality. I'm born, I live, I die. And what I see And what I understand is all that there is. But what Daniel says is, if you can lift your eyes from your story to a much bigger story, God's story, history, literally his story, and you see how your story fits into his story, suddenly your story actually takes on more meaning and makes more sense because you see your life, your birth, your life and your death in light of his much bigger story. And that's incredible. So as we look at our passage, here's the first thing, the first glorious truth that I want us to see. This chapter declares to us that there is a God and he is not silent. I borrowed those words off a man called Francis Schaeffer. He was an American kind of theologian and pastor. Uh, He set up a center in his home with his wife called Edith in 1955. It was called Labrie. It still exists today in Switzerland. That's the main center. And there's offshoots in other parts of the world, including the UK. And he set up his home in Labrie because he wanted to give people an opportunity to come into his home and ask these big questions of life. What is life all about? How does my story fit into your story? And he set up Labrie. And during the time that he was running Labrie, he wrote in 1972 a really famous book called There is a God and He is Not Silent. Let's have a look at Daniel chapter 2 to see how that truth is revealed. Uh, Do you see in chapter 2, verse 1, this guy Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of the Babylonians who's taken God's people off into exile. He has a dream. And in Babylonian culture, dreams are taken really, really seriously. So they want to understand the dream. And we read verse 1, this dream deeply troubles him. And so verse 3, he wants an interpretation. Uh, If you live with anyone or you have housemates, you'll know sometimes we have those bizarre dreams and you come down for breakfast in the morning and you, you talk about your weird dream. What in the world does that mean? We want to understand our dreams. And this king's no different. He wants to grasp what in the world was this weird dream all about. And verse 4, the the Babylonian kind of elites, the educational elite, the magicians and the astrologers come along and they kind of arrogantly say, oh, we'll interpret your dream. What is it? We'll tell you what it means. And then notice what the king says. He says, okay, if you can interpret my dream, I'll, I'll apply you with wealth and with honor. But 
And I love how matter-of-fact it is. If you don't, I'll cut you into pieces. He's a pretty ruthless king, and he has a dream, and if you can't interpret it, then you have no use, and your head hits the block. Well, suddenly these quite arrogant magicians and astrologers go, well, what are we meant to do? Verse 11, what the king asked for is impossible. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Here's the assumption of these wise men. They believe that there are lots of gods, and they believe there's mankind, but they believe there's a separation, and the gods cannot communicate with people. There's a distance. So they believe in some sort of God, but they don't believe that God speaks. In other words, they believe that God is silent. Well, the king's not happy, verse 12 and 13. So he says, right, I'm going to execute all of you because you're hopeless and you're no good to me. But then Daniel comes along and goes, hang on a minute. They can't interpret your dream, but what about me? Give me one chance before my head hits the block. And so Daniel speaks with wisdom and tact, verse 14, and he goes before the king, verse 16, risking his life and says, I'm going to find out what this dream means and I'm going to tell you. Have you ever faced a situation in your life that to you is just impossible? I don't know, a big decision you've got to make, a dilemma where you, you, you cannot see the way forwards, you, you don't know what to do. It could be a positive thing like, God, who do I marry? It's a huge decision. Uh, do I buy this home? Do I make this big financial decision? Or it could be something more negative. Uh, God, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this illness. I've got no idea how I'm meant to help my daughter who's got a real problem. And life is like a dilemma, and we don't know way forward. I often have those moments in my life, and I I turn to one of my favorite verses in the Bible, James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, If anyone lacks wisdom, they are to ask God, who gives generously without finding fault. And what I love about that verse is it's a declaration, God, you are able to help me in this impossible situation, but not only are you able to help me, you want to help me. If anyone lacks wisdom, they are to ask God who gives generously without finding fault. And Daniel's in this situation because he desperately needs wisdom and help. It's pretty serious because if he can't interpret this dream, he's dead. Look at the way he then earnestly does what James declares in James chapter 1 verse 5. He comes before the Lord and he pleads earnestly for mercy. Did you see it in verse 18? And wonderfully in verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. There is a God, and he is not silent, and he wants to speak into our lives when we face dilemmas and we don't know the way forward. He wants us to ask him for wisdom. And that's so true as well when we read the word of God, yes, written by human authors, but inspired by the living God, which means I cannot read God's word simply like I would read a novel or a telephone directory and just understand it. I need God's help which is why we always pray before we preach, because we need his help to understand what's going on. And as Daniel prays for this wisdom, God of heaven gives it to him. So if you can begin to grasp that there is a God and he's not silent, the big question to ask yourself is, am I listening to him? And in a world with so much noise, sometimes we need to slow down and tune our ears in to hear what God is saying. Look at Daniel's response in verse 20 to 23. After God reveals and gives this wisdom to him, he declares that God is sovereign. He says, praise be to the name of God, verse 20. Wisdom and power is his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises them up. So he's declaring here that there is a living God who's in control of everything. 
And because of that truth, he then knows that this is the God who can give him wisdom. So he says, verse 21, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. And then having been given this wisdom, he breaks out in praise to God in verse 23. You have given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. And so he then goes before the king of Babylon. Now imagine the scene. Here's Daniel. He's a sort of 20-something civil servant. And he goes before, at that time, the most powerful ruler in the whole world, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Ancient history say that Nebuchadnezzar had two live lions, one on each side of his throne, chained up, wanting to prove to the world just how powerful he was. He can tame a lion or at least control them. This is a great king. Daniel goes into his presence. If he says one thing that's wrong or fails to interpret the dream correctly, he's gone. But why does he go? Why does he risk everything? I think it's because he has this deep-rooted conviction that there is a God and he is not silent, and that the living God has got something to say. And look what he declares, the second truth that we see in our passage. The living God declares that his kingdom will stand forever. If you go back to this illustration of being or feeling like uh, the red dot in a gray world, I asked the question last week, what's the biggest danger for you as a red dot if you're a Christian? answer becoming a gray dot it's so easy just to blend into the rest of the world to be like everybody else but here's the thing if a red dot becomes a gray dot then the gray dot just lives amongst a load of other gray dots it's life in 2d my ultimate reality is i'm born i live i die that is life in 2d that is a gray world that's how most people live their life but god says no i give you life in three dimensions you're born you live you die but that's not everything that's your story But it's part of a big story. And when you know the big story, it makes sense to your story. And that's a hugely important truth. And what's the ultimate reality that's declared in this passage? It's this, that God is building a kingdom. And it's something that's more secure, more real, more permanent than anything that we can experience in this world in our little two-dimensional story. That blows our minds, but that's the truth that we see here. So we're going to see what that story is, and it's told through this great vision or this dream that the king Nebuchadnezzar has. Let's have a look at it together. Verse 31. So Daniel's speaking now, and he says, Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue. And there on the screen is that statue. An enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. So this is a kind of a picture of this great dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. Then notice verse 34. While they were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. So something's going on here that's not human. There's something divine going on. And God, it says, cuts this rock And it strikes this great statue of iron and clay, where it's weakest, at its feet, and smashes them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in summer. 
That picture on the screen is a threshing floor. You harvest the grain, it's, uh, the wheat. It's, it's made up of the grain, which is inside, that's valuable, and is crushed and milled and makes flour, etc. And then you've got the chaff, all the light stuff. And what the people on the threshing floor do is they pick up a big bundle of this wheat, they throw it into the air, and the heavy grain falls to the floor. And you can see that here. It's falling to the floor. And all the chaff blows away. Daniel is saying this huge image made of gold and precious heavy stone is just like chaff. It just blows away. What in the world is all that about? The wind swept them away and they left without a trace. But the rock that struck the statue becomes a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So this colossal, seemingly permanent, valuable image disappears. But the rock that strikes it is established. Verse 36. This was the dream, and now we'll interpret it. You can imagine Daniel's heart going like this. If this is a wrong interpretation, I'm dead, he thinks. But he goes before the king because he believes that there is a God. He's not silent. He's got something to say. And this is what he says. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. And Nebuchadnezzar's going, I like this guy. Where do you find him? He's an all right civil servant. I'm the king of kings. Too right I am. Come on, let's have some more. He says, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. And he's going, well, you're not wrong there. I've got lions on the side of my throne. I'm the great king. And in your hands, he's placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he's made you ruler over them all. And then he says, and Nebuchadnezzar, you are that head of gold. <laughs> I am indeed. I'm the king of Babylon, and I'm that head of gold. In all his arrogance... But then the bubble burst for Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 39, after you, another king will arise, a kingdom will arise inferior to yours. You can imagine Nebuchadnezzar going, what, another kingdom? Babylon is the great kingdom. And I'm the great king and my kingdom will last forever and I will last forever. Another kingdom? I'm not so sure this civil servant is so good at interpreting dreams he's thinking. And so here, the, the head of gold representing Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire. The silver representing the empire that follows, the Persian Empire. And then it goes on. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. This represents the Greek Empire. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, it will crush and break all the others, representing the Roman Empire. And then you get to the feet, mix of iron and clay, something strong, something brittle, representative of other future empires. The point of this great image that he sees in his dream is that it represents different great superpowers, but the interesting thing is they come and they go. And then verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the rock cut out of the mountain, not made by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The rock represents the kingdom of God. And it totally overshadows and destroys all the other kingdoms and all the other rulers who have ever and ever will live. And then he finishes, the great God has shown the king what will soon take place. This dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy.
and the room goes quiet. And Daniel's heart is still beating, and he's thinking, was that a right interpretation or a wrong one? It's an interesting story, isn't it? You you kind of get the dream now. You you get this big vision of this statue. You understand from the screen behind me what it represents. That's all very well, but maybe a question I hope you're asking is, but what's the point of all that? It's great. It's interesting, but what possible relevance does that have to my life? Here are three brief things as we finish. I guess a, a challenge to us. We've all got to be aware of our natural, inbuilt, subtle self-reliance. See, when God, through this dream, speaks to Nebuchadnezzar and goes, you are that head of gold, aren't we often all a bit like Nebuchadnezzar going, well, I am. I'm all right. I'm pretty self-sustained. I can be in control of my life. This is my life, my story. I'm born, I live, I die. I understand it, I try and control it, and this is all there is. But the passage warns us, don't be self-reliant, because actually your life is not your life, it's a gift. That's what we celebrated this morning with Florence's dedication. But to live our life with us at the center is essentially what um, people would describe as humanism. Human beings, our story is what's at the center, and this is all there is. But this passage says, no, don't live life in 2D. There's a third dimension. Understand the big story, and then you can see how your story fits into that story. So the first challenge is being aware of subtle self-reliance. Here's the second one. I guess more of a question is to each of us. It's a similar question that was asked in the Haggai series that we've just had previously. Um, Whose kingdom are we building? Uh, We we read and prayed some of the Lord's Prayer, the whole of the Lord's Prayer earlier, and this is some of the words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, that means special or holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Think about how much that would mean now having learned a bit more about what Daniel 2 is all about. When I pray that prayer and I mean it, I'm saying, God, your kingdom come. In other words, I don't just believe in my kingdom. I believe in a bigger story. And your will be done. It's not just about what I want. It's about what you want. It's a totally different perspective. I'd like us to watch a video. It's three and a half minutes long. Uh, This video, the voice in it, is um, an American pastor called John Altberg. And he wrote a sermon which was turned into a book in 2007 called It All Goes Back in the Box. It's a pretty provocative video, but it challenges us to ask this question, whose kingdom am I building? Let's just have a look at this video for a few moments. It all goes back in the box. The last line, how far do you have to walk down that road before you see where it leads? Surely you understand it will never be enough. So you have to ask yourself the question, what matters? That's the challenge for us. Beware of subtle self-reliance. Ask yourself that serious question. What am I living for? Whose kingdom am I building? Am I prepared to open my eyes to build a kingdom that is more real, more permanent, more satisfying, more wonderful than my little kingdom? And the reason these things matter, finally, is because there is a God and he is not silent. If you have a Bible, just one last verse to look at. Could you flick forward to the book of Hebrews? It's in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1, the writer says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. There's the great declaration that there is a God and he is not silent. But then he says, verse 2, But in these last days, that's a reference to A.D., the year of our Lord, from the time Jesus walked this earth up until and including today. In these last days, he has spoken to us 
by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. What's the writer saying? He's saying to a world where most people live in two dimensions. I'm born, I live, and I die. He's saying, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what this big story is all about, look at Jesus Christ. Because God, who is so passionate about knowing this broken world and knowing you and me with our broken hearts, he came and entered time and space in the person of Jesus. Emmanuel, one of the names given to Jesus at his birth, it means God with us. And he steps into our world. And think about the life of Jesus. Where does it take him? It takes him to a cross. And on the cross, was it not God shouting most loudly how much he loves us? There is a God and he is not silent and he's spoken most powerfully in his son. If you want to know what I'm like, God says, look at my son Jesus. He is perfect and he loves you with a perfect and everlasting love. And not just the cross, you then look to the resurrection. What does God shout at the resurrection? He shouts most loudest, look at my power. Because death, that great lever that none of us have control over, had no control over Jesus because it met in Jesus, a man who was the author of life. So death could not hold him. And this story that begins at birth and we live our life and death, that's not the end. For the Christian, death is just the beginning as you enter into the much bigger story. And the writer goes on then in Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 28, to declare really what Daniel chapter 2 is all about. Hebrews 12:28 says this, therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Daniel chapter 2 says there is a God and he is not silent and he has declared that his kingdom will last forever. And the ultimate reality for all of us to grasp and to cling on to is that when we live our life in light of that bigger story, our life suddenly takes on a whole new meaning and it adds greater depth and greater purpose and far greater joy. And that's what God wants us to hear this morning. Amen. Well, in a moment, uh, please do come through to enjoy some refreshments together. Um, Great to spend time together. Just want to say, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you came this morning and you feel like your love for him has grown cold, Um, Don't get discouraged, but talk to someone who's around you. Pray. Uh, That's what church is here for, to encourage you that your love for him would grow strong again. And if you're here and you don't yet trust in Jesus for yourself, uh, just a personal thing from me to you. I promise you that with Jesus at the center of your life, life will make more sense and be more wonderful than you could ever imagine. If you're not sure about that, come and have a chat. Um, But it's been great having you here. Here's a promise, though, for those here who are trusting in Jesus. The words I read earlier, and let's take these into the week ahead. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Amen.